Welcome once again to the Yoga and Body Image Coalition podcast. My guest today is Rupa Singh, who is an attorney, a yoga teacher, who has done graduate degrees at UC Berkeley and NYU for both law and cinema studies. Rupa has written about yoga, popular culture, and politics in the Huffington Post, The Nation, Everyday Feminism, and Elephant Journal. She recently finished an arts residency on yoga and race at the Children's Museum of Pittsburgh and at Boom Concepts, an African-American operated gallery in Pittsburgh. In 2013, Rupa founded Sapia, the South Asian American Perspectives on Yoga and Art, a platform on the personal and political implications of yoga, including personal, I'm sorry, including principles such as trauma-informed yoga, uh, black and brown solidarity, and access for all. She is a doula, a licensed prenatal yoga instructor, and a former lead yoga instructor and collective member at the Third Root Wellness Center in Brooklyn. In the fall, Rupa will be writing on racial mobilities in yoga, hip-hop, and the law as a Ph.D. student at the School of Social Transformation and Justice Studies and Social Inquiry Program at Arizona State University. Welcome, Rupa. I'm so thrilled to be speaking with you today. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Yes, um, I think there's a lot of really interesting things to talk about. And when we were getting ready for this uh, podcast, we talked a little bit about some of the basic roots and definitions of yoga and um, what it actually means and where it came from. Can you talk a little bit about um, some of the things that are really important to you in terms of what yoga means, what it's really about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so one of the definitions that we often hear in yoga classes is that uh, is that definition that sort of hooks onto the word union or yoke. So people literally translate uh, the Sanskrit yog to mean yoke and then talk about union, which I think is correct, but I don't think it's the full story. I think that the piece that often gets left out is liberation. And mm-hmm. when we look at union and we think about the relationship of the mortal physical shell to the immortal energy, and how we're always striving towards that union, we can also clearly see that we're striving for liberation, that the asana practice, for example, is one way that allows us to sit in meditation for longer periods of time or allows us to be more comfortable in our physical shell so that we're not caught in cycles of suffering as much. I think that the liberation piece is key because it also is a word that is more readily tied to um, politics. And in our present day, I think it's really important that yoga translates uh, within both personal and political spheres because it is both personal and political. Beth, you just talked about where does yoga come from? And I think that the, the, the main thing that comes to mind is that the creation story of any form is pretty crucial. And generally, it's creation stories that, um, that are erased. So we experience a kind of erasure when we talk about, say, the founding fathers of this nation. Uh, that in and of itself is a term that includes a vast amount of erasure. Uh, When we think about yoga and and its creation story, I feel like in 
commercialized yoga in the West today, it usually goes one of two ways. So uh, some people will uh, just say, um, sort of briefly mention that yoga is from India. Um, They might talk about how they themselves went to India. And within that, there's a sort of uh, like larger context of authenticity, which I think is pretty uncomfortable um, from what I've heard on the ground from other South Asian diasporic practitioners like myself. So there's all this like tied to India as being uh, authentic or the the source of authenticity for teachers. Um, the other creation story for yoga that we hear best is sort of like I invented this or um, my studio created this way of yoga or this form of yoga. And that often, so that's also uncomfortable to deal with. Um, it's it's something that, that comes up a lot even in like how people will ask, oh, well, what form of yoga do you do? And I understand that it's important to think about lineage and, and, and all that. Uh, and at the same time, yoga, so not only is it about union and liberation, but it's also not just about asana. And mm-hmm. I think when people ask that question, they're also um, ignoring the larger creation story that um, sort of I'm grounded in, which, and this is the last thing I'll say about it, which is that, you know, yoga is uh, definitely written into theology, our theological scripture, uh, which includes the Bhagavad Gita. Sometimes even the Gita is misunderstood as our most important theological work. And that's, that's just not how it's ranked, really, within Hinduism. It's one of a vast array of ancient human texts. Um, but it does talk exclusively about the larger science of yoga. And that really and truly, that's sort of my go-to text for thinking about yoga, for moving forward with yoga, because it talks about yoga as a fuller science. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's so many things I want to talk with you about what you just said. <laughs> Thank you for such a rich uh, answer, uh, Rupa. I'm trying to think about which question to ask first. Um, so the fuller uh, and larger science of yoga, um, I would imagine that that includes the liberation that you started your answer with. Um, and I can hear some people in the West in the way that it's been commercialized kind of question this link to politics. Um, and yet for me, it's deeply deeply connected to politics. Um, can you talk a little bit more about the, both the personal and the larger collective politics and whether you see that or how you see that as part of the lar- uh, larger science of yoga? Sure. Uh, let's see. I think that when I, at least, am thinking about the link between the personal and the political I am looking through this lens around healing and safety. So a guiding question can be, who gets to heal or who gets to be safe? Um, And let's just say within this nation state. So if we're just talking about the U.S., then we can ask ourselves, who gets to be safe within uh, America now? And who gets to heal? And that 
that question posed that way mm. is clearer, I think, around um, the link between the personal and the political. So, for example, right now we can see uh, a core issue that has people taking to the streets is around state-sanctioned violence against black lives. Mm-hmm. And within that, um, there's a question like, who gets to, you know, who gets to grow from childhood to adulthood? Who gets to be mm-hmm. safe in this country? And then within yoga classes, within the asana class, surely it is just ourselves on the mat. We meet ourselves on the mat every time we go to the mat. Um, and so it's very personal that way. So do your do your practice for you. Um, and it's also very daunting that way to meet yourself, to constantly self-diagnose throughout your physical frame, through your practice. That's immense. That takes a lot of courage. I think it's immensely mm-hmm. courageous to to sit with yourself and your breath and be present that way. But I think that uh, it's also courageous to look around at the room and think to oneself, who gets to be here, who doesn't get to be here. What are the sort of hurdles to access uh, that um, that this studio or this system of commercialized yoga in the West presents? Mm-hmm. And then if we think about the nation overall moving towards yoga as an industry, not just an industry, but a booming industry, a profitable industry, mm-hmm. um, then we have to ask ourselves, how is yoga being used as sort of a nation-building space, a space that allows for um, glossy magazines and uh, clothing industries to proliferate an image of the United States and of the American body, particularly of the American female body, white female body, that these qualities that speak to being very healthy and very safe, like flexibility, like like um, like, uh, so not only flexibility, but balance and being present and um, mm-hmm. even being empathetic or considerate, being egoless. These things that are attached to the commercialized yoga space are then for whom? Who do they, mm-hmm. who do they include? And if that's the mm-hmm. image that we're projecting and if yoga is being used as a vessel, then I think that that's very political. Um, Mm-hmm. I also just I want to say that even though it's challenging and courageous to be on the mat, I think a lot of commercialized yoga spaces don't necessarily encourage that, are instead uh, very entertainment-based, as we like to mm-hmm. be here, so that it's it's a uh, it's a class that you can just follow along with, um, and that you feel, and that many people, many practitioners, uh, who I've spoken to, feel compelled to follow along. So don't find a yoga space where they can sort of sit with their own boundaries or um, think about their own adjustments. And so, you know, we also see the rise of the yoga injury within the commercialized yoga space. And I think that's also very um, both political and personal. I could go on and on, Beth, but... (laughs) (laughs) It's so so fascinating to listen to you, um, and I I hope that we can follow up with longer conversations. Um, As you were talking earlier in your response to this question, I was thinking about um, how 
when we meet what comes up for us on our mats, that's so deeply going to be shaped by how we're positioned in society and and the way that our bodies are or are not marked in the wider culture, both inside and outside the studio. And so, you know, um, my own location, for instance, as a white, queer, middle-class Western woman will bring certain things up, right? But the black, um, uh, a black male next to me who is participating in the Black Lives Matter movement will bring up something very different um, because of the way society around us, nation building, all that stuff, um, targets him uh, in a different way than it targets me. Um, and I don't, um, those are very, those are wide moments of vulnerability um, and I think powerful moments for us to heal from oppression and or make strides about how we relate to one another, but I don't, I haven't seen very many yoga studios facilitate that kind of space or conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that it fits into uh, sort of like a heavy class schedule model where you have mm. open classes with all different sorts of people. I don't, I think that that's challenging to figure out how to do that in this commercialized model where you're not right. guaranteed to see the same people over any period mm-hmm. of time at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Earlier in our conversation today, you mentioned the concept of authenticity and the way that some uh, yoga teachers in the West in this commercialized culture will invoke connection to India as a sort of um, uh, uh, card or uh, token of our authenticity. And um, can you talk a little bit more about uh, your perceptions of that? Sure. Uh, So... Also earlier, I talked about this notion of like the founding fathers or uh, mm-hmm. anything around the creation story of America. In this in this country, in general, there's a a real um, uh, the relationship to the Indian. So this created construct of the Indian uh, mm-hmm. is is one of extremes. So on one mm-hmm. hand, it's about complete erasure through genocide, or in the case of India, um, it's an ongoing um, process of colonization or occupation, uh, whether it be physically or um, through, through, through other means, like occupation of, of a cultural form. Mm-hmm. I think that the relationship of America to the Indian is important to look at in that bigger context of also Native Americans and also Indians and Indian Americans. And the reality of the present uh, sort of modern and future in, is, is I think really hard, is, a, is, a, is a, a hard place for a lot of yoga folks to deal with, at least given my experience and the experience of those that I'm going to talk to or who have spoken out on Sapia panel. It's one of extremes. So on one hand, there's mm-hmm. either complete erasure and discomfort with the idea that we, by, by we I mean diasporic South Asians who are of both places um, very fully. So, you know, who, like people will be like, oh, Rupa, you don't have an accent. I'm like, actually, I have many accents. You're just hearing one of them, you know, because um, there's all sorts of fluencies. Uh, but the other hand, outside of erasure, there's this like, fawning and this pedestalization 
but uh, that but yoga in and of itself is about coming back to balance. So to see that in the space is a tremendous challenge because it means that the space for for those of us who sense it, for whom it shows up on the radar because we are Indian, quote unquote, or because we are South Asian, it really shows up very strongly as then a place that's not necessarily approaching this in a way that is safe for us going back to that, is it safe? Am I going to be safe here? Is it going to be a healing space for me? It's not necessarily going to be that. Um, I think people's relationships to India across the board, across races, is uh, is a lot to bear witness to. Uh, I recently did this video of young South Asians living in New York primarily who are super politically literate um, and active and they were we were talking about appropriation and their experiences of being exotified and uh, in the in the comments on YouTube there was an initial strain of comments that was so so violent actually uh, from people who were like but they're not even really Indian you know, oh look at them. They're not speaking with accents or they probably don't even really like their own food or they mm-hmm. look at, you know, and mm-hmm. even in my own life, Beth, there's been so much interaction around my authenticity. Uh, mm-hmm. Was I born there? Um, do I go back? Do I know the language? It's It's not dissimilar to how women the experience of being acculturated as a female-bodied woman um, is constantly, like, being authenticated, like, oh, well, do you cook? At least this is within mm-hmm. my familial space, you know, where there's all this, like, checklist of things. Like, so how woman are you on the scale of woman, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but and that, that definition... Have- that definition seems to always be coming from outside of you as well, that, like, as though people outside of you get to determine uh, the degree yeah. of authenticity, quote-unquote, rather than you determining your own relationship to any of these things. That's right. And it's not, unfortunately, it's not just people. It's primarily white people within right. the yoga space who have hmm. formed their own attachment. Again, not a quality that we, within the yogic here want to encourage is attachment right mm-hmm. so I think engagement is different than attachment that often gets confused mm-hmm. as well like um, it's not just about being detached and not having to go through the challenges of, of real connection but it's it's about engagement versus attachment and I think people's attachment to their own relationship to India or to their own mm-hmm. idea of the Indian or the India is gets in the way a lot of their ability to handle a present day person like myself who's you know very versatile, fluid, and happy with that. And I think that that's actually honoring of our original ways, you know, to be fluid and to be expansive. But I find most of the pushback best comes from people who who are white folks who are um, mm-hmm. you know just really upset that I would be at all somehow Indian and it it often can become this sort of like weird contest if if I was to let it which I would do when I was younger but which I won't do now I don't participate in that kind of um, mm-hmm. 
and that kind of draining activity. Um, yeah. Let me say one more thing about it because it goes back to the movement and, and political movements right now in, in this country. Mm-hmm. Recently I've seen on social media uh, political social justice workers and movement leaders um, talking about ego and, and talking about that the, the purpose has to be paramount and the ego needs to step back. And this is something that is cued from exposure to the, to the way that movements go down in other spaces, like say within the Zapatista space uh, where collectivity is much more apparent and it's not discouraged by funding structures, uh, like say within the nonprofits that we have here. And um, I think that that's important. It's important for people to be talking about ego, and uh, especially within the yoga space where we have people who are within the field of the sort of like emerging field of yoga justice who are, you know, who talk about themselves as leaders in the field or um, who are treated as movers and shakers who have a lot of social currency uh, mm-hmm. within popular culture. I think I think the discussion around ego is one that we really have to like look at more and um, be present with more because it's one thing to have people talk about ego not being what's needed or not being really what's yogic, but it's a whole other thing for that to be true in action. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I'll say about it is that the Black Lives Matter uh, movement is a very strong cue as to the rest of us, to other people of color as well, to look at the spaces in which it makes sense for us to take leadership. And I think that within the yogic space or or the commercialized yoga here, it's not enough to look around and see any people of color. I don't think that that's the primary goal of, for example, Sapya is not to just see, um, any people of color, it's to see South Asian people in the space mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and also to see South Asian Americans or South Asians in the diaspora as leaders or stewards in the space. And I think that that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, since you mentioned uh, Sapia, South Asian American Perspectives on Yoga in America, I wanted to point out to our listeners that the video that you were talking about earlier is on Sapia's website. I watched it uh, several times. It was really powerful. Um, and I'm wondering if you want to talk a little before reaching the end of our very short podcast about why mm-hmm. you created that and what you hope to come from that. Mm-hmm. Sapia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And thank you so much for the space, Beth. I'm really, I'm so happy to be working together in the near future more mm-hmm. through our writing. Mm-hmm. Um, Me too. Me and too. To I think your work is connected so to this. important. Thank you. Thank you. And likewise, I, why did I create Sepia? Well, I was just talking to this awesome Sepia ally named Marianne Thomas, and she writes occasionally for a magazine called Brown Girl Magazine, and uh, we talked about something similar, and one of the things that I said was that I've always had either a, it's either a problem or it's a good thing around speaking truth to power, and 
I do that at home as well. Like, so it starts from the inside out. And it can make for some pretty dynamic <laughs> uh, moments. So one of those dynamic moments was when uh, there was an opportunity to tap into an ongoing third root sort of panel series or lecture series. And then I, at the time, I was the only South Asian person there at third root. And then use that as an opportunity to um, move forward with what's been a private conversation for a very long time amongst South Asian communities in this country around yoga and what's happening to yoga. Um, and that's a proxy also for, for us talking about what's happening to us as Americans. Who, how do we get to be here? Do we get to be visible? Do we get to, and because obviously visibility is related to safety. Um, if you are seen in the eyes of the law, if you are seen in popular culture, you are less likely to be killed, for example, and have nobody care. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was an initial panel, but a couple years before that, uh, through an organization called SASI, South Asian Women's Creative Collective, who's been holding down really good work for South Asian um, creative voices in New York for a long time, had sort of like an open mic or an event, and I did this comedy piece called Letter to My Yoga Teacher. And it was just like building from that, from mm-hmm. uh, sort of coming out almost. It's like a coming out around the discomfort uh, that's ever-present within our racial mobility here in this country or lack thereof, so that we sort of rarely have spaces of our own visibility. We're still... Like we have Mindy Kaling now, you know, Hari Kondabolu is getting shine more and more and well-deserved. There's, there's like a couple people that we can point to, but uh, in terms of the landscape of America, we're still not that integrated. There'll be like Indian grocery stores, you know, um, mm-hmm. there might be a Bollywood movie playing at a theater once a weekend for like two days. But considering the like robustness of our popular culture in the world and the consumption of our popular culture in the world, we're so invisibilized here still. Um, and then I think that when we are visible, it has a lot to do with this sort of like exceptional um, and model minority fulfillment mm-hmm. stuff so that it has less to do with how uncomfortable it is to go from a situation where many of our parents were born into colonized India, mine were, and then to move on into a place that touts itself uh, as sort of like a rebel nation that threw off uh, British rule. But, of course, we know factually that that's, that's not quite true, that we're looking at an extension of empire. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, so there was this uh, initial panel in 2013 at the Breakfast which was done in Manhattan. Um, on the west side, right on the west side highway. And that panel went for, like, literally best almost four hours, and pretty much nobody left. It was such an engaged and present mm-hmm. space, and there was such a need for the conversation that it then, the momentum from that still exists. Um, and since then, I've organized panels um, for both race and yoga conferences at UC Berkeley, also uh, participated in a Headstyle talk for SUNY um, 
panels at Columbia. There's just been more opportunities to share voices. Most of those have been recorded, and so I have this sort of, like, growing um, archive. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm really excited to move forward with uh, developing out the research aspect of this because even the one research study that we did do on uh, sort of looking at two years of yoga journal through a, a lens around was there ever a South Asian person on the cover that we could discern what was the amount mm-hmm. of South Asian content or contribution that was attributed in the magazine mm-hmm. versus the amount of content that sort of like uses Indian culture that'll be like, this is my recipe for doll, but it won't be an Indian person. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that study uh, went on to be used by many. And so it just had, I'm saying, it, so it didn't have this, like, it, this is a budding uh, platform, uh, but it does have an impact already. And it has had an impact already. And so that's uh, wonderful. And it's also surprising and it's galvanizing and kind of intimidating. <laughs> it's like all these things <laughs> at once. Um but I know one Sepia, former Sepia panelist, Tarag, who is an artist under Pardon My Hindi and also white people doing yoga, cited the study in his uh, piece that was in the Yoga Art of Transformation exhibit, at, um, which was then at the San Francisco Asian Art Museum. And it was just a wonderful thing, you know, to, like, mm-hmm. to see how this work is fueling others in so many um in different formats, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, unfortunately, we have reached the end of our time. I wish that we had so much more time to, to talk. It's such a rich conversation, Rupa. Thank you so much for joining us on this YBIC podcast. I'm really honored. It's so good to talk to you. Thank you. You're very welcome. Our guest today has been Rupa Singh. Uh, You can learn more about her work and about South Asian American perspectives on yoga in America at sapia.wordpress.com and also, I believe, the new website, sapia.com? That's right. Correct? Awesome. And you can also find her contact information there. Uh, Be watching for her really fascinating writing that's coming out in several different locations in the near future, um, bringing together links uh, about many of the conversations she's raised today. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome, and thank you.